you know, Jay Schaefer said that he put his house on wheels, not because he wanted to be able to travel or move it a lot, just simply because the town that he was in didn't allow dwellings under a certain square footage and putting it on that trailer put it into a different category. The legal landscape of tiny homes is one of the most frustrating and confusing parts of the tiny house movement. In fact, tiny home isn't even a legal term, so municipalities have had to figure out what form of existing law they fit into. My guest, Jennifer Lavini, is a housing and land use lawyer and author of Building, Occupying, and Selling Tiny Homes Legally. I would consider this episode a must-listen. Jennifer walks us through the six types of tiny homes from a legal perspective, why codes are critical for safety, RV versus residential code, and her take on avoiding bad players. I really hope you stick around. But before we get started, did you know that I personally send a tiny house newsletter every week on Tuesdays? It's called Tiny Tuesdays, and it's a weekly email with tiny house news, interviews, photos, and resources. It's free to subscribe, and I even share sneak peeks of things that are coming up, ask for feedback about upcoming podcast guests, and more. It's really the best place to keep a pulse on what I'm doing in the tiny house space and also stay informed of what's going on in the tiny house movement. To sign up, go to thetinyhouse.net slash newsletter, where you can sign up for the Tiny Tuesdays newsletter. And of course, you can unsubscribe at any time. I will never send you spam. And if you ever don't want to receive emails, it's easy to unsubscribe. So again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash newsletter. Thanks, and I hope you enjoy next week's Tiny Tuesdays newsletter. I am here with Jennifer Lavini. Tiny home law is confusing because there are so many types of tiny homes and so many variations on the laws governing them. Jennifer Lavini, a housing and land use lawyer, created a simplified hierarchy to help navigate and understand the relationships. Understanding the big picture will help you buy, get a bank loan, insurance, and make the practical decisions about your tiny home. She'll also help you avoid buying an unsafe, illegal, or unlivable tiny home. There are a lot of bad players out there building tiny homes who aren't following the laws. Knowing the basics of what is and isn't legal will save you a lot of heartache and money. She put all the necessary information into her number one best-selling book, Building, Occupying, and Selling Tiny Homes Legally, available on Amazon. Jennifer Luini, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ethan. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. And thank you so much for doing this work because... I cannot tell you how often I get that question, you know, can I live in a tiny house in fill in the blank? Um, do you find you get a lot of those kinds of questions? I get so many questions. It is so confusing. And it's confusing at every level because it's people ask, can I live in a state? Can I live in a particular city? Can I live in a particular neighborhood? And can I live in a particular block? And then even within that block, can I live in a one specific piece of property? And the rules are different at every level. I've heard so many horror stories where someone is allowed to live in a tiny house on one piece of property, and then just across the street, they're not allowed to live in it because you can't hook up an additional 
water meter or electrical because they've crossed over some zoning line or some neighborhood CCNR. So it's really, really difficult to figure out where tiny homes can be placed. And I, I do my best as I can to help people with every specific piece of property. Yeah, wow. And I just, I, I so want to dig into the nitty gritty, but I, I want to back up because um, I think I, I initially saw your name on the roster for the, the global tiny house conference and, you know, clicked through, grabbed your book on Kindle and started reading it. And I think I just stopped reading and emailed you when you talked about how tiny house or tiny home is not a legal term. And so it doesn't, you know, legally, it doesn't mean anything. And so I was hoping you could kind of, kind of rewind us back to the start and, and address that and start, start there. It's so true, Ethan. Like when you say the word tiny home, you probably have one picture in your mind. Mm -hmm. And when someone else uses the word tiny home, they have a different picture in their mind. Some people are thinking of things that are on wheels and Mm -hmm. some people are thinking of gypsy caravans and some people are thinking about schoolies which are bus conversions some people are thinking about buildings that are on foundations some people are thinking about mobile homes and it's just like there is no legal tiny homes are not a legal term and so one of the first things that I did was just try to figure out what does tiny home mean And luckily, like right about the time that we were all trying to like tease this apart, the state of California Department of Housing stepped in and they wrote a document that broke tiny homes down into different categories that follow the laws that we already have in the state of California and across the United States. And they they broke tiny homes down into basically six categories. Okay. So this is this is California specific here, or is this kind of I, I've I've heard you know as California goes, so goes the country. <laughs> yeah, this is well. It's some housing laws are state specific, and then some housing laws are nationwide, like HUD laws, um, and then some laws are actually vehicle laws, which are nationwide. And some aren't even laws, they're industry regulations that have to do with the RV industry. So I think it makes the most sense for me to kind of go through the different categories and explain what they are and then explain where the source of the law comes from. Let's do it. Let's do it. So like there's in the hierarchy, there's three big categories. Okay. And then those are sort of broken down into smaller categories. And so the three big categories have to kind of do with what's underneath the tiny home. Like, is it on a foundation? Uh Is it on wheels? Or is it just like something that's not attached in any way, like something sitting up on pillars? So once we have something that's on a foundation, it's, it's, That is further broken down into two categories, and this is going to be familiar. Like, it's either built in a factory or it's built in the place where it's going to sit. Okay. So, like, if you think about something that's built where it's going to live, this is like a stick-built house. 
or all just the regular buildings that we're used to seeing, like a bunch of carpenters show up with hammers and nails and they build it. Mm-hmm. And if it's built that way in this specific place, the laws that govern it are the local building codes wherever it's built. Regardless of size. Well, right. So the local building codes will govern the size. Like in some places in the United States, there are no lower limits. Like you could literally be living in something the size of a shed, Mm -hmm. 20, 40, 80 square feet. And then a lot of places in the United States, but especially California, where we love lots of rules, there are lower building limits in places so that the size you can have, the smallest size you can have is whatever the limit. And this is actually what's been so unfair that a lot of places like the smallest limit would be like a thousand square feet or 1200 mm-hmm. square feet. And so that's why tiny homes were illegal because there were these lower limits. And that part of the tiny home movement is just just getting rid of these lower limits. Like what, if people are willing to live in a building that's 500 square feet why is that illegal right and that's that's kind of the the almost the the folklore the of the tiny house movement and i think it's true that you know jay schaefer said that he put his house on wheels not because he wanted to be able to travel or move it a lot just simply because the town that he was in didn't allow dwellings under a certain square footage and putting it on that trailer put it into a different category. It wasn't really seen as a dwelling at all. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so that kind of propels us into our next category. So that Mm -hmm. underneath that tiny homes um, on foundations, then there were two types, the types -hmm. that you build in place and the types that are built in factories and that are later transported to a foundation. Then there's another category, which are the tiny homes on wheels. And that kind of where Jay was the innovator. Like he thought, okay, you know what? If you're not going to let me put this on a foundation, I am going to put it on this chassis Uh that is for a truck. And then it's not a, it's not a building. It's a vehicle. Mm -hmm. And listen, you builders that want to have minimum size, this is just off limits to you. Um, you can't you can't come and regulate people who builders mm-hmm. don't get to regulate vehicles. It's a completely different category uh-huh. of of things. There once it's on wheels, it's a vehicle. Or it used to be a vehicle. And so it basically meant that the the building inspectors couldn't come in and inspect it. Okay. So then once we're talking now we're talking about tiny homes on wheels, then there's three different categories that come underneath that. And that's and the three categories sort of have to do with the size of the tiny homes. The smallest ones are going to be called RVs, like recreational vehicles. Mm-hmm. And these are, I mean, they're basically built like recreational vehicles. Except for the fact that if they're tiny, like when you have a recreational vehicle, those are usually built out of very light composite materials like plastics and Mm -hmm. maybe aluminum because they're meant to be towed behind cars. So 
They want to be really aerodynamic. They want to be very light and they're meant to be lived in very lightly, like for a weekend or a week here and there while you go on vacation. Mm-hmm. And that's the big difference between tiny homes. They're they're built that same size as RVs, but they're built out of materials right. like wood, granite, tiles. They're they're sustainable materials. They're meant to be lived in 24 7, right. 365. And so they're built much more solidly than but they still the way that this the laws have worked out is that they the state of California and most every other state that allows them in the United States want them to be built using the same RV laws. And the RV laws are NF called NFPA 1192, and that stands for National Fire Protection Agency. And that's a really important code because it means that it's built in a way where all the pieces are tested and so they can't, they don't catch on fire and they're not dangerous and they don't blow up. You don't put the propane lines too close to the electrical lines or the water lines. They don't fall apart when you drive them down the street. Mm-hmm. These are just safe, minimum safety laws. They're not maximum laws. You can build a lot stronger than these codes, but okay. Codes make it so that the minimum that you have to do to make sure that they're safe. Right. And then to confuse things further, <laughs> which we should pro- maybe save for later in the interview, is just that now there are a lot of professional tiny homes that are being built and certified as RVs to enable people to get loans on them and also to park in certain places. Yes. And the big controversy is who's allowed to be the certification company Mm. because certification companies have to be, they have to be certified by somebody as to be a legal certification company. And there's companies that have been in existence for like 50 years that are legal certification companies. And then in the tiny home space, there's companies that are just kind of self-proclaimed certification companies and it's not really clear that their certification actually means anything so they're and they're charging people like you know five thousand bucks to certify their tiny homes and we don't even know where they got their certification from right yeah and i've always personally just been a little skeptical of of these certifiers you know, if, if it's worth the $5,000 to you for the support and the, the knowledge, then maybe. But, you know, it's proven not to be difficult to insure a tiny house on wheels. Um, and that's one of the that was one of the early selling points that I saw a lot like, oh, you're not going to be able to get it insured if it's not certified. There's right. Well, the way that insurance companies and banks work is that they already have systems set up for. RVs. Right. Like, you know, people have been buying RVs and certifying them for what, like a hundred years for ages. now? Yeah. So, oh, wait. So, I guess since the 1950s. So, almost a hundred years. Yeah. It's hard to get banks and insurance companies to change really quickly. They're sort of very slow moving. And so, mm-hmm. in order to get loans, you really need to make sure that the vehicle that you're buying. Mm-hmm is built according to the laws. 
Otherwise, and, and if it is, then the bank or credit union shouldn't have any problem lending on it and insurance right. companies shouldn't have any problem insuring it. But if it's not built to any code, then it honestly, it shouldn't be insured. It shouldn't be insurable mm. because it's dangerous and people shouldn't want to live in them. I mean, I, I, I honestly fear and I know it's going to happen one of these days that some family is going to move in, you know, buy a tiny home from somebody. They're going to move in. They're going to be like one of these tiny homes with two lofts. They're going to put like their kid in one loft. And that loft is not going to have the required egress windows. And some, something's going to catch on fire and their kid's not going to be able to get out of that loft because it's going to have some ladder. Yeah. The tiny kid's not going to be able to get out of that ladder because of the fire. There's going to be some, it's not going to be able to get out of the egress window because it's not an egress window. I've seen tiny homes that put like these tiny little windows in their loft. They're completely illegal. There's no way someone could escape out of that window mm-hmm. in an emergency and someone's going to die. I mean, it's only a matter of time. And the more I think about it, that's kind of why I wrote this book. Yeah, I mean, I hope I hope you're wrong, but I, I fear that you're right. I mean, the more I just, I, where I live in Santa Cruz and in California in general, there's just lots of tiny homes all over the place. You see them driving down the road. You see them parked out in lots, in different places and fields. And... I mean, the I've seen ones where the window's about six feet, six inches, I'm sorry, six inches high by about one foot long. And I don't know who, you know, is climbing in and out of those windows. Right. But not a person. Yeah. I was fortunate to have um, a, a family friend who is an architectural designer help help me with my build. And, you know, we very you know, the, the window in my loft is not an egress window size to code, but we, that was like something that I was aware of and he was aware of, and we made it as big as we could. And, you know, he told me, it's not about you being able to get out of this window. It's about, you know, somebody, an emergency personnel wearing full gear, oxygen tanks, everything to get through that window to get you. Well, no, I, don't actually agree with that it's about you getting out and there's already laws that have i mean it's already been tested this isn't like a make it up as you go along how big does a window have to be for someone to get out right i mean this is a known answer i don't know the numbers right off the top of my head but it's like you know i mean the opening part of the window has to be a couple of feet like two feet so if there's like an open and a not opening part, then it it's much bigger than two feet. It can't be like a transom style window. Yep. This is these are known things. And if you're sleeping in somewhere where you can't get out if there's a fire, then it's dangerous. Yeah. And I I don't want you to sleep there, Ethan. Stop it. Like what do we have to do to get you into a safe place to sleep? Because I mean, in the end, it really comes down to, like, the reason laws exist is so people don't die in their sleep. Right. Well, so I will say the addendum to my story is that it's it's not big enough to meet code, but it is quite big enough for me and my wife to get out of because we're both fairly small people. 
Um, I don't, I know that that's not as good as the proper egress size, but these are the kind of trade-offs that people make when they're building tiny houses. And I think that you bring up a really good point that, you know, we, we think of these houses as so affordable and inexpensive. And part of the reason why they're so affordable is that by building them this way, you're skirting a lot of the laws that make them more expensive. But you're pointing out that that is coming at a major trade-off, which is the safety of the house. Yeah. I mean, I think there's like one thing that's like, okay, if you're going to build your own tiny home and you are going to live in the tiny home you built, that's, that's one situation. But then there's the other situation where there's people who are building tiny homes that are illegal, they're not safe, and then they're selling them to other people. Yeah. And that the people who buy them don't know that the thing that they're buying is not built up to any codes or any laws. And they're assuming that this person who might have a contractor's license, might not have a contractor's license, knows what they're doing. Right. And then at that point, there's money being exchanged for this illegal home. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really crossed another line. Yeah. Where someone trusting another person with their life mm, yeah and that housing authorities and vehicle authorities just can't allow that to go on because so what the state of california has done is that they've said that they're going to prosecute people who are building illegal tiny homes wow and selling them right and so you know i mean they haven't done it yet Everybody wants to solve the housing crisis, and it's really severe in California. There's just homeless people all over the place. Housing is not affordable for just regular working people, and so it's very difficult. And the state housing department doesn't want to be out prosecuting people who are building tiny homes because there's generally a belief that tiny homes are an important part of the solution. Uh for housing but those people who are building illegal tiny homes are endangering people and other people trust them yeah so so my my solution to this was well why don't we just tell everybody what the laws are Mm -hmm. like the state doesn't have money to educate people what is a legal tiny home so i thought i'll just write a book I'll describe in it what a legal tiny home is, how to find out where the laws are. And then people can spend the like 20 bucks or whatever the book costs, 10 bucks on Amazon or something. They can get the book and then read what a legal tiny home is and protect themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And I appreciate this. Um, It's not a tangent because it's very important, but we were. I think we were on number four on our, our list of six yeah. legally occupiable types of tiny homes before right. I, I steered us into, into safety, which I'm definitely want to get back to. And, and actually, before we get back to it, I think that, you know, if somebody listened to only the first 20 minutes of this conversation, they might say, oh, you know, Jennifer Lavini, she's, she's anti-tiny house. She's a tiny, you know, she's a scold. She's trying to like, shut down the party and be the adult in the room. Um, but <laughs> if you knew me, you'd laugh at that. <laughs> you know, from, 
from your book, you know, it's clear that you, you love tiny homes. You actually, I, 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 my takeaway is that you are a supporter of the tiny home movement. And so that you, you put this work into this resource because you, you want to help it change. Right. I mean, originally how I got into this whole thing was that I wanted to help build tiny home villages. And because I really saw tiny homes as a solution for housing. And I was so frustrated by all the legal roadblocks that I bumped up against. Mm -hmm. And then I started trying to see what do I have to do to help fix, change the laws and make tiny homes legal and make them affordable. And the more I learned about the laws, the more I realized that I alone would not be able to do anything to build tiny home villages until the laws changed. And the best way to change them was just to educate people. Okay. And so I just took everything that I was learning and just put it into a book and to try to like bring everybody up to like, if we all understand like how the processes work and where the roadblocks are that we can change it. Mm-hmm. And it's working like even here in Santa Cruz where I live, I've been working with the county supervisors and I've got new codes. We're developing new ordinances here. We just legalized tiny homes on foundations and now we're writing the ordinances for tiny homes on wheels and we should have them in place by the end of August. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, thank you for being an advocate for the movement in in the legal world because I think the the roots of this movement are almost as I said before, just like almost a little counterculture, a little bit like skeptical of the law and regulations. And so bringing, bringing tiny homes back into the fold is something that's going to be important for the, the health and long-term survival of the, of the movement. I also like, I'm going to say like the laws, you know, it took me a while to figure this out about building codes and stuff mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. People look at tiny homes and they go, look, I can build a tiny home for like 2000 bucks. Why should I use these parts that have been tested? And why should I put in like windows that are egress when I could go to like the flea market, right? And buy a used window for like 10 bucks. Why should I use one that is open wide? Or why should I use propane tanks that meet a certain, um, you know, they're not 20 years old. Yeah. Or why should I use like any sort of materials when I could do it for really cheap using just recycled materials? And the answer is like the reason the building codes exist and that vehicle codes and RV codes exist is that all these guys who are builders, and and I don't mean that in a sexist way, it usually is guys. They just sat down in groups and they went, okay, they just tested it. Like, yeah. If if the wind blows really hard or if it snows, we don't want the roof to cave in. We don't want the walls to cave in. So how like how close do you have to put the pieces of wood together so that if the wind blows 40 miles an hour on it or it snows six inches that the walls don't cave in or the roof does. And, and they just mm-hmm. tested these things mm-hmm. and they test them over and over again and they come up with a minimum code. And it's not that they're trying to be, you know, jerks about it. It's like it, the minimum code is just to keep people alive. Yeah. 
and to make it so that you don't die in your house. So anyway, getting back to what we were started talking about, like the yes. different types of tiny homes on wheels. Uh-huh. So I, I just talked about the first type, which are the very smallest type. They're called RVs under the law. Uh-huh. And the next type up, which is bigger, are called park models. And they're like a type of RV, except that they're bigger. And mm-hmm. being bigger means that you they generally are built, they're built in a factory. And they're towed to one location, and then they stay in that location for their whole life. Okay. And so while recreational vehicles are usually used for recreation, so part-time summer use, are park models designed usually for for year-round dwelling? That is like an under-the-law, something that is a park model is not supposed to be year-round dwelling. but what's happened is as housing has become more and more expensive and then park models have become built sturdier and sturdier and sturdier. Like originally I feel like they were built, um, people would buy them and they would put them like in national parks and they would have it like their summer cabin Mm -hmm. or their ski lodge or something that they would go to. They'd stay in it, you know, for like a week or weekends and they'd use it for their ski house. And then they, but they wouldn't live in it full time. But as housing has become more and more expensive and park models have really become full-time housing. Okay. And the thing that's different about them is that they're, they're big. They can be up to 14 feet wide, which is, if you think about it, that's wider than a lane that you drive your car in. Right. You can't just drive it down the road any old time you want to. You have to get a semi truck to pull it. And you have to get special permits from DMV. You have to notify them in advance. And then they set up a special route that you're going to take, take it from point A to point B. I'm like, you can't go underneath wires that are low or bridges or things like that, because Mm -hmm. depending on how tall your park model is, it has to be able to get there and it only gets there once. Right. Then often, usually people have their park model and they take off the wheels and the axles and they set it up on some kind of different anchors to anchor it in place and uh-huh. then basically attach it to the ground, but it's not a foundation. It's just anchor. Okay. And so a park model has different rules that it's built to. And those rules are called ANSI 119.5. Okay. And the, those rules, you know, talk about how the, how the plumbing has to be built. If it has propane tanks, um, how those are hooked up and where they're located. If it has, um, you know, like waste storage tanks and how they're attached and, um, everything about the way it's built these standards are tested over and over again and they're really safe and they're updated every two years i think and so the latest set of codes just came out in january 2020 and so they've just spent the last year implementing all the new ANSI codes and um there's actually rvia the recreational vehicle institute 
public puts together really good videos about ANSI codes. And you can, and if you're built on anyone who's building their own, doing their home, own build of a tiny home, I recommend that they just go on to YouTube and search for these ANSI code videos about how to build an, an RV and watch them because they'll really like rock your world okay about like how to how to connect you know how to test your toilet to make sure that it's not going to backflow and poop isn't going to fill up your tiny home yeah <laughs> so this is just to repeat that this is ANSI A119.5 yes that that governs and that's RVs and park models are covered under that well under the that's a hard question. So what's going on now is that originally that was for park models and the NFPA 1192 was for um, RVs. Okay. But then a bunch of different tiny home builders said that they wanted to use the ANSI standards for the tiny homes, for the RV size tiny homes. And so then the lines kind of started getting blurred about which standards apply to tiny homes. And then, so what happens is as each state and different municipality across the United States started developing their own rules, like, you know, we're some city and we want to, we want to legalize tiny homes. What they've been doing is in their local codes saying that tiny homes have to be one built to one of those two. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, this is a dense topic and. Um, you are so patient in answering my questions and you're really good at explaining it. So thank you. Um, there's, there's a sixth type on the list that I will admit that I literally never heard of just new to me. Well, the, the, the last one underneath tiny homes on wheels are mobile homes. Okay. And it's interesting because people think, well, a mobile home isn't a tiny home because it's big, like mobile homes generally start at a thousand square feet and they go up to like 3000 square feet. And so the question is, are those tiny homes? And this is where it gets into the idea that there's no such thing as a tiny home. Like it's not a legal term. And uh -huh. someone can be building something that's 2000 square feet and calling it a tiny home. <sighs> and that's happening like in, there's a big park of um in um, Palm Springs. Uh -huh. In the desert in Southern California, where there's a, a a developer and they're building mobile homes and they're calling them tiny homes. And their reason they're calling them tiny homes is that they're building them all out of their mobile homes. So they're they're originally built on wheels and uh -huh. then they're brought to the location. The wheels and the axles are taken off and they're anchored to the ground and they're either single wide or they're double wide. So they're like a thousand square feet or 2000 square feet, okay. but they're building them all out of really sustainable materials like tile and um, the same, you know, really sustainable. And so they're saying that they're tiny homes because they're sort of using the philosophy of building sustainable housing. And their idea is that tiny home isn't just a size, but it's a, it's a philosophy. Mm -hmm. And so again, nobody knows what a tiny home means. And you go there and the part they built a beautiful park and they're really cute mobile homes. 
and they have a nice swimming pool. And if you want to live in a beautiful tiny home in the desert, but it's kind of big, then you buy one of these. Nice. That sounds lovely. <laughs> so I was referring to the one on the list that I hadn't heard of is camping cabins. Camping cabins. Right. I love cabins. And most of us have an idea what a cabin is, right? Yeah, like We call them ever... camps in Vermont, I think. Yeah. So you go someplace, there's like a building there. It's got a couple of beds in it and there's a barbecue outside uh-huh. usually. And so, and, and they're usually like under, you know, they might be 400 square feet. And so under the law, that is another category of tiny homes because of the size, like it's 400 square feet. Mm-hmm. or less and something is a camping cabin under the law um when you're allowed to sleep in it but it doesn't what makes it different is it might have a foundation it might not have a foundation but it doesn't have any plumbing in it. Uh. so it does have, they usually have electricity like you go in you can flip a switch on and the lights go on so it might have a heater in it and other electrical things. It might even have outlets so you could plug your laptop in and watch Netflix. But it does typically when something is a camping cabin in the state of California, it doesn't have um, plumbing in it. Mm-hmm. Different states have different definitions of what this building is. Like they're really complicated in Florida. Yeah. I remember because they have them on all kinds of islands and stuff where people use them for hunting. But yeah, it's also, these also fall under the definition of some people's definition of what's a tiny home. There's, there's also other things that people call tiny homes, like sheds, like people buy those Home Depot sheds and turn them into buildings. And those also would, might be a type of camping cabin because they don't have plumbing. Uh-huh. They, they live in tree houses. They call them tiny homes. They, I mean, there's so many different things. There's like yurts. Yurts yeah. kind of fall under the category of camping cabins that they, they're not supposed to have plumbing in them. Right, depending on if you put try to put plumbing or not. Right. In California, you cannot legally live in a yurt. But in other states, you can. Yeah. So, and, and that's just partly because it makes so much sense here because they're not fire resistant. They're not fireproof. And, you know, we have these massive fires in California now all over the place. Right. And so there's not, sometimes there's not egress, there's not fire resistant materials. And they just, yeah, those wooden frames are like a bunch of matchsticks. Yeah. Scary. So it sounds like the, the first paradigm shift of that you're presenting here is like, when you ask the question, you know, can I live legally in a tiny house in California? The first, the paradigm shift is to say, get way more specific about what you're saying. Don't say tiny house. Say, you know, can I live legally in an RV that I built to RV code or that I didn't build to the code? And I, I struggle to come up with good examples, but is that, is that kind of correct? Am I right in saying that? Yes, you have to ask about it in a specific spot, too. Like, if you say, yes. can I live in this tiny home on wheels built to RV standards 
in this in this particular lot in the city of San Luis Obispo? Then the answer <laughs> might be yes. Okay. But if you say, can I live in this exact same tiny home on wheels built to RV standards in the city of San Francisco, then the answer is going to be no. Mm. So you have to be like really specific about how it's built and where you want to live in it. Yeah. And then, and then a really is like even more confusing example is like the this Los Angeles. Because Los Angeles is both a city and a county. And so there's different laws in the city of Los Angeles than in the county of Los Angeles. The city of Los Angeles has passed some ordin an, an ordinance that allows living on tiny home on wheels, but the county of Los Angeles has not passed a similar ordinance. So when someone says, can I live in a tiny home on wheels in Los Angeles, I kind of have to break it down to, well, what street are you on? Right. Are you in the city or the county? Yeah. What property in there? Because then also they're, they get into like which zoning, you know, which type of res single family or multifamily zoning piece of prop zoned property. It's, it's very specific. And it's not something, it's not like going into a Ford dealership and saying like, I'll buy it, like to buy a Fiesta, Ford Fiesta, taking it home, parking it in your garage and you're good to go. Yeah. And you just register it through the DMV. You get your, you know, you get your license and registration and insurance and you're good to go. Right. And that is another really good point is that when you buy a tiny home on wheels, you are supposed to register it with the DMV. Mm -hmm. An RV style, you're supposed to register it with the DMV before you can transport it right. on the streets because it's a vehicle. Right. And that's, again, like that's another kind of, uh, I'm coming, I'm struggling to come up with the right words. Tiny, tiny house on wheels mythology is like, okay, so register your trailer first before you start building the house. You know, that way it's just a trailer and then, then build your tiny house on it. And, you know, that's just a thing on the trailer. But, you know, in the eyes of the DMV, you just have a trailer. Yeah. And the thing about that mythology is that it was true. Like when Jay Schaefer built his first tiny home on wheels, that's literally was OK. Uh -huh. Because he said it's just a load. And Jay asked me this question. He said, yeah, it's just a load. It's like a load on your trailer. Yep. And that was before 2018 when the state of California stepped in and said, um, we're not going to allow people to die in tiny homes. There's, we want them to follow the laws. And here's what the laws are. The, right. If you're building an RV size, the law is NFPA 1192. If you're building a park model size, the law is ANSI A119.5. If you're building a mobile home, the laws are the HUD laws. Right. If you're building on a foundation, the laws are your local building code. Right. Like, so it, that was true for, for quite a while. You know, I, I'm trying to remember what year Jay first built it. It was like 2015 or 16. So, I mean, that was right for a few years before right. this sort of really became popular. Oh, I think Jay built in like 2004 or five. Was that really that long ago? 
Oh yeah, really long time ago. Because I I built mine in 2012, and I was kind of early. But you know, D Williams and Jay Schaefer had already been around the block for years at that point. Wow. Yeah. So you're really an early adopter too. Yeah. To to some extent, I I know that I'm sure there were a lot more people doing it that weren't writing about it, but I was one of the early people to start, you know, a blog about it and to to post about it and and that kind of stuff. Um, so do you move yours around very much? Like, do you drive around and tow it different places? No, no, it's actually, it, um, it has been kind of say a second tiny home for, for me, um, for a while now, um, mainly because I like living in the city of Burlington and they're not really allowed here. And there's not a great, there's not much of a chance that they will be. Um, so we were renting land out kind of in the mountains and the tiny house was on that land for almost seven years, I think six and a half years. Um, and then the land changed hands and the new owners, um, said, Hey, we can't get liability insurance with your tiny house here. And, um, they're pretty risk averse and they asked us to move the house. So, um, right now, so that, that was the first time that it had moved it, since being built or it moved after it was built to this spot. And then that was the first time it had moved since. And, you know, I would, I tell people all the time, like if you don't plan on moving your tiny house ever or only so often, you know, to consider not building one on a trailer because the trailer is very expensive and imposes some real limitations on what you can do from a design standpoint. Right. So how did you find the second place where you, where you moved your tiny, tiny home to? So, um, sure. I'll give you the short answer first, which is that it's my parents' backyard or it's behind their barn. Um, Mm. so, and that's actually where I built it, built it. Vermont is, um, kind of other than the cities is very rudimentary in terms of its zoning laws. So the, the city where my tiny house, or I guess it's not a city, the town where my tiny house is, does not enforce building code. Sorry, they're, they're not rudimentary with their zoning laws. They're rudimentary in terms of the building code. They don't, they don't do home inspections. They don't enforce building code. So it's like, if you want to live in something... You're so lucky. If you want to live in something that falls down on your head, like, we don't have the resources to stop you. But, but zoning is really the only thing that, that we have to worry about in, in a lot of places here. Anyway, what I was saying is in California, we're jealous of people who can build without going through, you know, so many hoops to get right. buildings inspected. But the problem is, though, as you've pointed out, that that, you know, that does enable people to build structures that are n- not necessarily safe. Um, and then also that that don't really meet any codes. So if they, you know, down the road want to sell that building then as you mentioned, that is, that is something serious. You're, you're selling something that is you built for yourself and maybe assumed those risks knowingly or unknowingly, but you assumed them. And now you're passing that on to someone else. Yeah, that's a problem. I kind of feel like the ones that people just build for themselves shouldn't necessarily go into the secondary market. They should, you know, like if you're not going to use it, Mm. 
and you you don't know if it's built you didn't know about the codes at the times you built it mm-hmm. and so there's no record that anything is built to any codes it doesn't really have any value right and you shouldn't i mean it's i don't know if you can take a, that risk of selling it because what if someone dies in there like yeah i mean how could you ever live with yourself or yeah for sure you know, worse. I mean, if you spend the rest of your life in jail for murder or manslaughter. Yeah. I mean, would you? You might. Wow. Wow. That's, that hasn't happened yet, but I mean. Right. I suppose one could sell their house and make it very clear that, hey, this thing was not built to code and, you know, it's been safe up until now, but you know, that's kind of say there's a risk here and just make sure that, that the person buying your house understands that. I think what you've been pointing out is that many builders who are even, you know, quote unquote, professional tiny house builders are, are not building to code and they're not. And and the people who are their customers assume that because it was professionally built, that it is, somehow safe or that it was built to code, et cetera. Yes, that's true. I don't know how you could even give someone, someone could say like they accept the risk Mm. because they don't really, wouldn't really know. They wouldn't really know that like the electrical lines too close to the water line. And so it could create sparks that's inside the walls. They don't really understand the risk that they're taking right i think like when you accept a risk to go ski down a mountain and you buy a lift ticket mm-hmm. you understand what the risk is that you're taking right but when you buy a home that's built illegally i don't know if you really understand the risk that you're taking yeah yeah you're probably right i w- i want to ask you um about are there so so zooming in on a movable tiny house or a tiny house on wheels that is kind of in that RV size, RV to park model size. So what you're seeing as very popular in the tiny house movement today, which is like a 28 foot ish house on a trailer that is, you know, eight and a half feet wide and 13 and a half feet tall. Are there, and and you don't have to make any endorsements so feel free to pass on this question but are are there any builders that you do think are doing it well yes and i go to a lot of tiny home shows uh-huh. and i go through as many tiny homes i just love tiny homes and i definitely look at the way they're built mm-hmm. and there's some like you can just tell after you've gone through enough of them there's just some builders that are really they're just doing a good job they have and they they honestly they usually have some kind of certification like they're either going through rvia certification or radco or some sort of certification or another and um they're more expensive Mm -hmm. Because they're building using more expensive parts. They're, you know, usually using, they're paying their employees well to mm-hmm. build them. They have, just getting these certifications is super expensive. Yep. And they're they're also, one of the big clues 
is that they're building them in actual factories. They're not like a bunch of guys out in a field yeah. building them. They have a factory space where they have an assembly line and they're building them like a real business. Yep. Um, and I've visited some of the fa some factories and I've watched them being built to try to understand this. And I've seen like the gamut. I've seen like guys who just like are building them out in a field or like one guy with a hammer who's like building tiny homes with like the cheapest parts. And then I've just, I've seen so many illegal things. And then I've seen like factories that are just really professional assembly lines and their union wages are being paid mm -hmm. and they're taking care of their workers and they're more expensive and they're safe. Yeah. Yeah. And then do you, do you have any, any names to name or do you want to just kind of leave it at that? I'm not going to name any names right now, right. but I've, I've seen some really good ones that are coming out of Canada. Yes, me too. So you probably know what I'm thinking, who I'm thinking yeah. of. Yep. And there's also, you know, like there's some things like you go in and first thing you notice is like there's a loft with no safety railing. Yeah. And there's there's like a stairway with no handrails. Mm. There's no egress windows. There's just like these things that, um, honestly, it's not that expensive to put up some kind of right. Right. railing next to on a stairway or on a loft so that people don't roll out in the middle of the night. Yeah. You yeah. know, or fall down the stairs. Like, I don't know. I mean, I've tripped and fell yeah. down stairs even yeah. when I'm not in a tiny home. Yeah. Well, I mean, on that conversation, I just, you know, I built my tiny house at the time, you know, everyone was doing loft access or ladder access lofts. And so that's what my tiny house has. And man, climbing up and down that ladder, sucks frankly um so i wish it didn't have a ladder do you ever have to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night yeah it's terrible <laughs> um yeah well so i, I actually have a follow-up question regarding the, the builders that you think are doing it well and that is are there you know so if if somebody's going to diy build their tiny house and they're interested in getting it certified um what you know, what certifier should they go to? Um, again, I guess I'm asking you to name names if you can, or if, um, you know, maybe if you're not willing to name names, just, you know, can you tell us how to evaluate that certifier? Well, the state of California has put together a list of, of companies that can certify tiny homes and our, our uh, uh, mobile home. Okay. And so I'm kind of, what I'm doing now is I'm kind of going through that list and looking at which one of those companies will certify tiny homes. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard because the companies that are saying that they want to certify tiny homes for do-it-yourselfers are not certified by anybody else. Mm. And so it's a real like catch-22. And so I'm just, I'm just going to do like a little moment of shameless self-promotion. Okay, go for it. Um, I've written a second edition of my book. 
Okay. And it's almost completely done, but this exactly question of what companies do I mention for certification is one of the last stumbling blocks uh-huh. for the book. And I'm changing the title of the book from like building, occupying, and selling tiny homes legally, which is too much of a mouthful, uh-huh. to tiny home lock. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like a lot easier to like remember, like what was that book called again? Yeah. Tiny Home Law. And Tiny Home Law. It's like, you know, what is this book about? Like directly to the point. But that that idea of like describing the certification companies is it's it's the weird thing about tiny homes is that there's a lot of infighting in this industry. Like it should yeah. be like all peace and love and sustainability and, and you know, <laughs> white doves and unicorns. <laughs> there's a lot of people who are fighting among themselves in this business. And I've been trying, I try to like rise above it. And I consider myself the echo. Like I don't make the laws. I just right. echo. You're just whatever kind they of are. telling it how it is. Yeah, this is what the laws are, and I'm just echoing them. And then there's a lot of people who are really angry at me because, and it just turns out like whenever they're angry at me, it turns out that they're doing things illegally and they're mm. just pissed off. Okay. That I'm telling people about the law. And some of those people are these inspectors. Yeah. Okay. The inspectors who are trying to basically make a business and say, hey, We'll certify your tiny house. Just give us $3,000 and, you know, you get your certification. You you go through the checklist and you get the certification. Yes. So, my, I mean, my feeling about the inspectors is that I think that if you're building a tiny house on your own, it's worthwhile paying a couple thousand bucks to have somebody provide the law to you and interpret it and to make sure that you don't build something that's so far from the law that you could die in it. Right. I think it's worth it. And also because if you build it according to some set of rules, then you can resell it just like we were talking about it. Like after you live in it for a few years and you decide, you know what, I'm ready to go back to my mansion, Mm -hmm. then you can sell your tiny home um, and say that it was certified by some company. So there's a lot of, value yeah and working with a certification company yeah that's a good point and that it it kind of gives you peace of mind for for yourself and for future inhabitants also people some people move their tiny home quite a bit yes and that when you move it from place to place some of the parks where you put tiny homes they want to see the certification so you can if you have the certification then you, there's a lot more places you can put it. Well, what I want to say is um, I'm not angry at you. I'm grateful for you because, again, this is like it's dense. You've done a really, really great job of making it clear. And also, um, you know, as you mentioned, you've kind of by being that echo, by being that kind of truth teller, you you end up having people mad at you because you're you're basically pointing out that what they're doing is is illegal. And the other thing is, is that there's there's this idea that I want to just level the playing field. Uh-huh. That if there's some people who are building legal tiny homes and it costs them a lot more money, 
to build it that way. And then there's some people who are building illegal tiny homes and they do it really for a lot cheaper. Mm-hmm. And then the consumers come along and they think, you know, why can I buy one tiny home for 25,000 and someone else is charging 125,000. Mm-hmm. And they don't understand that there's a big difference yeah. between those tiny homes. It might just seem like some companies ripping them off for a hundred thousand bucks, you know, yeah. like yeah. those guys are a big ripoff and that it's, there's gotta be a level playing field here mm-hmm. that like mm-hmm. if everybody followed the laws, then, then people would be able to cost compare tiny homes and see like if they're really getting a good deal or not. If it's if it's like just a sale price or mm-hmm. if it's an illegal price because they use like parts that weren't the right parts to build it. Yep. Yep. And so by by doing this, I'm actually feel like I'm not just protecting the consumers, but I'm protecting the tiny home builders. I'm helping them level their playing field so that they're competing against each other fairly. Yeah. And that the ones who are doing a really good job aren't just losing market share. You know, they're, I really want to protect them. I want their businesses to thrive because right. they're the ones who are following the law and that the consumers will understand that. And that the ones who are illegal, building illegal, have the opportunity to, to rise up to the where the playing field should be right. or leave. Right. And at some point, they are going to have to leave the industry. Yeah. You know, I mean, the industry is going to be um, legalized, sort of like cannabis. Right. You know, like there are all these illegal grows going on out there. And now like states are legalizing cannabis and the growers and the dispensaries and all these places have to start following the laws. And if not, they're going to get shut down. Yeah. Well, I like that's a feels like a really positive way to leave it. Just that, you know, this is ultimately going to help the tiny house movement. These are growing pains and that, you know, hopefully we're going to shed the uh, shed the skin of the kind of illegal buildings and unsafe practices. And as the laws catch up to tiny homes, we'll actually help to make the movement safer and also more widely available to, to people. Definitely. It's going on all across the United States. All um, 50 states have you know, stepped up and um, decided whether or not they're going to have tiny homes legal. And then within every state, all the cities and counties are, you know, talking about it and their tiny homes are legal of one sort or another Uh in different parts of every state. So, um, yeah, it's happening and it's happening in a way to make people legal and to make the industry legal and to solve the housing challenge. And I'm really happy to be a part of it. Nice. Well, Jennifer Lavini, um, I think I might have to have you back on for a part two, cause we're, we're already, um, quite longer than a usual episode of the tiny house lifestyle podcast, but I, I think that I could keep talking to you for twice as long. So thank you so much for your time. And, um, why don't you say the name of your book one more time? It, the The link will be in the show notes for today's episode, but just so people know how to find it. The book is called Building, Occupying, and Selling Tiny Homes Legally. It's um, information is at buildingtinyhomeslegally.com. 
or you can just look up Levini, L-E-V-I-N-I on amazon.com and um, get the book. It's available also in Barnes and Noble and um, uh, uh, walmart.com and um, other places, but I think Amazon seems to be like the best source. Great. Thank you so much for talking to me, Ethan. It was really a pleasure. Thank you so much to Jennifer Lavini for being a guest on the show today. You can find the show notes, including a full transcript, links to Jennifer's book and website, and more at thetinyhouse.net slash 161. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash 161. Well, that's all for this week. I am your host, Ethan Waldman, and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.